Monster Crush is a horny, light-hearted dating show by and for people who love monsters a lot. All monsters are presumed to be of age and are presumed to have given enthusiastic consent in our fictional fuckery. Take care of yourself when listening and see our episode description for all content warnings. Welcome to Monster Crush, a podcast that's a little spooky, always sexy, and surprisingly educational. Every episode, we dare to find love in all the wrong places on our never-ending quest for the best monster smooches. I'm Derek, and I'm joined once again by the personification of loveliness herself, LD. Hi, LD. Stop it. Hi. You know, you always do that introduction so well, but there was something very, like... Very special about this one today. I don't know what it was, but it's like, ooh, okay. I'm Here we're full going. of energy drink and spite. I, <laughs> I very, very apropos. I drink monster, so uh, yes, I am. I am down a monster ultra blue. We're not sponsored, oh, God. but uh, yeah, it's the only thing that's keeping me running after a long day of working with children. Yeah, um, you know, I was reading a thing the other day about the, our consumption of caffeine and how it affects you differently depending on what kind of caffeinated beverage you drink. Yes, um, because like obvi- if you're somebody who drinks like hot teas and hot coffees, you tend to drink mm-hmm. them slower, so you absorb it differently than say if you're pounding back monsters, for instance. Absolutely, there is there is hundred percent something to that because I I can only drink cold coffee now, especially like if I'm going to work because otherwise I will take my my Yeti tumbler again mm-hmm. apropos um, and I will I will nurse that coffee literally all day. Yeah. I have a, a lovely partner who makes me will will make me a latte in the morning, Aww. but like I just I can't get through it because it's it's hot and like it's I'm already warm. I'm running around all day, mm-hmm. and it's just like the last thing I want to drink is something that's warm. So. I will now pound 20 ounces of cold brew before I even get to work just to like get me through the door. And then I have to drink water because coffee dehydrates me and makes me tired. So it's just to avoid the caffeine headache. Then I drink water to actually survive. Vicious cycle. And then... And then, yes, a monster energy drink so I don't fall asleep at the wheel driving home. That's, this is the vicious cycle. And you don't get to do the coffee naps because, you know, children working around, you know. No, I don't get breaks. Yeah. Uh, that's not something, yeah. Um, yes, for, for HIPAA purposes and also because, yes, I work with kids. I'm not going to say where I work or what specifically I do, no. but I do work with youths. God willing, they never find this podcast. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> So, uh, LD, it is an interesting uh, sort of uh, release for Monster Crush. We we delayed an episode for a good reason. That's kind of pushed back our release schedule a little bit. Eh, holidays will fuck up this uh, everything. Absolutely. Well, holidays and, you know, we, we did delay an episode uh, in support of uh, just a general strike that oh, was that's going right. around. Oh, that's too. Right. For, um, for you know, we, we do support the ceasefire in uh, in the middle east and we do support the the end to the genocide in palestine so we we did re- delay the release of an episode for that mm-hmm. but uh it actually kind of works out because this episode releases 
just after what will be the Lunar New Year. This episode yeah. is going to release on the 11th, so the Lunar New Year is the 10th. And uh, yeah, the Lunar New Year, essentially the same holiday as the Chinese New Year, just mm-hmm. Lunar New Year is the term that's used because it doesn't occur. It's not just celebrated in China, so it's more inclusive to right. the other countries that honor the holiday. So happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Again. It feels Again. like we just did this. I know we did, yes. but, you know, it's Happy New Year <laughs> to you. Yeah, yeah, Happy New Year. Yes. Um, happy Year of the Dragon. Happy Year Actually, of the Dragon. As it is for the for the Chinese New Year with the Chinese Zodiac. Dragons! Way back in date 45, episode 45, mm-hmm. uh, Horde My Love... Uh, I actually brought <laughs> Asiatic dragons in addition to a couple other dragons, actually an American dragon, and trying to remember if there was a, I think that was actually the that was the gargoyle or the gagua oh, was okay. was the European dragon that I brought for that, which is the origin of the word gargoyle, and then piazza, the piazza, which was the North American dragon, mm-hmm. uh, because a dragon to me is any sort of chimeric beast that is somewhat reptilian, combines a bunch of scary things eats people. Um, I made one of my favorite Monster Crush jokes in that episode. I'm going to make it again. I'm going to reuse it. But it's that, <laughs> that like dragons... <laughs> I know. it's I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hack. But it's the concept that dragons feed off of the hierarchy of needs that, you know, that's like, that is their, their food triangle is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So... Oh. You're squinting, so I really... I know what the <laughs> realize... hierarchy of needs are. I just don't know if I'm making yeah. the connection to Dragon Horse, but that's fine. <laughs> I was proud of myself because I thought it was a smart joke, but no, it's the concept that like dragons feed on, like, uh, European dragons especially. Right, yes. You know, feed on human suffering, and they eat, you know, all the things. They eat our livestock, and they destroy our homes, and all that kind of stuff. Those are not the dragons we're talking about today. Yeah. Because, well, you know, in that episode, I had three dragons, essentially. I decided to bring... All Chinese dragons, not really realizing at the time that Chinese dragons themselves need at least their own episode. I, I make note of that in back in date 45, but like almost two episodes. We're, we're going to try to condense it into one. This might be a longer episode, but th- thank you. I appreciate it. But we're essentially taking thousands of years of myth and lore and like even real world influence and politics and and trying to like tell a singular story out of all of it when it comes to a Chinese dragon which isn't even a singular thing. So it's uh, this this is a, an endeavor of sorts. I've I put a lot of research into this because this was also not something that I was overly fluent on even though I had done research, you know, a couple of years ago. Sure. I had to do that all over again because I wanted to give it they're you know an honest, well researched, well backed up sort of attempt at covering what is a Chinese dragon, which again is is not a simple. They're not a monolith. There is not right. a single thing that you could say a Chinese dragon is. There's just so much, but it is the scaliest of years. It is uh, going to be a full <laughs> Chinese dragon episode. The dragon is finally getting its due. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, before we even take the deep dive into. The Chinese dragon. I was curious if you know your Chinese zodiac sign. I sure do. Um, I have known about this for... uh, Well, so I will admit to how old I am. I was born in 86, so I am was born in the year of the tiger. And very specifically... So, and I know... I don't know how many people... I'm sure people know about this, but I don't know how many people actually know about this. In addition to, like, whatever Chinese zodiac you were born in... There is an element that is associated with the year that you were born as well. So you can be like a 
fire dragon or a water dragon or, a, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. I am very specifically a fire tiger, which essentially tigers are already sort of associated with fire. I which makes it I'm like a double fire thing, but I'm also an Aries, which is also a fire sign. So I'm like I just and in and a Leo rising, like I have fire signs just surrounded. I'm also y'all. I'm a ginger, like I'm a redhead, really. So like it's just the there's a lot. You would think that I would be a much angrier person than I am, but you know I am very cool and calm and collected until you piss me off. Takes a lot. But One, wonderful human being. Yeah, don't don't turn her <laughs> bad side. Yeah, so there are as Aldi was was kind of hinting at. Yeah, you you both have your animal, but then you also have your element to it as well. Uh, in in Chinese philosophy, in the in the, the zodiac concept, there are five elements that don't necessarily match. Like we we in Western culture, we have you know our, we have our Captain Planet, mm-hmm. right? We have you know Earth, Wind, Fire. Uh, water and with our or, powers no, combined, wind. Yeah, earth, earth, wind, fire, and water. Do you yeah. remember heart? The twenty. 20- sorry, there, there's the earth, wind, and fire. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah, also, also good. Also great. <laughs> Favorite in the Chinese uh, philosophy and in, in, within the zodiac itself, wind gets removed and okay. they add a fifth. So it is fire, earth, water, metal, and wood. Oh, are right. the are the five elements. Of, of the Chinese Zodiac and of Chinese philosophy. And then, yes, within the Zodiac itself, they also do have 12 symbols, very much like the Western Zodiac does, but all of them are animals. Mm-hmm. If you also consider the dragon to be an animal. So the Chinese Zodiac has these totemic representations. We have, you know, of course, the year of the dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, there is the snake, the horse, goat, monkey, rooster, dog, pig, rat, ox, tiger, and rabbit. And all of them have... Much like any other Zodiac, they give you your qualities. There's, you know, lucky numbers. Some signs get along better with others, mm-hmm. just just like the Western Zodiac. And then, yes, you also do get that uh, that element to it as well. So, LD, I have your Zodiac pulled up here, uh, your Fire Tiger. Mm-hmm. This is from astrosofa.com, which actually was one of the few that... The few websites where when I typed in like Chinese Zodiac, Chinese Horoscope, uh, it was one of the few that actually gave the element as well as oh. the the animal. So, you know, a lot of them kind of just leave it out off and just eh, you know, give me the an animal and that's good enough. Right. Uh, at least in English, I should say, because I don't read any other languages. <laughs> Very American. Um, but the fire tiger, you are passionate, ambitious, and fiercely competitive. Yeah. Uh, you are strong yet restless, bursting with confidence and liveliness. This combination enjoys innovation and opportunities for development. They defy all the odds, though they must battle their ego in the process, which doesn't always bode well with others. Ooh. Yeah, that mm-hmm. competitive streak. I try really hard to tamp that down and to not be so obviously <laughs> competitive. But if you ever played board games with me, it's a problem. Uh-huh. I also blame that, again, with being an Aries on top of it. It's like nobody likes playing games with me, really. It's just an issue. (laughs) This says that you, in the professional arena, you dominate management and executive duties. And uh, you burst with energy and your presence makes everyone around them feel inspired. That's true. Open-minded, creative, and sentimental. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Let's see. I want to see if we get along. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, Derek, what are you again? 
I am an earth snake. I will read mine here Yay. momentarily. We we are a decent match. Okay. Um, along with a good match. For, sorry, a great match for you as a dog or a horse. A good okay. match as a pig. Uh, we are a decent match. Okay. Uh, we, we we are one step above bad match, which is the monkey. Uh, well, you know, that's fair. <laughs> Uh, but yes, I am an earth snake. As as LD and I were, were talking before this, we did a whole bunch of stuff that we probably should have recorded because it was good content. <laughs> it was very good. Um, we were we were also talking about an earth snake. Just sounds like a worm. So I'm I've dealt with that for quite a long time. Ever since I realized that that was part of it. And there are like I know there's other parts. Like you technically have three animals to you because I'm pretty sure I also have like the rooster and the monkey that are part of it. I think also that has to do with like. The time you were born, or there's it, it gets complicated, and I, really? I can't remember, and I'm not going to talk it on my oh, ass. Okay. Yeah, I back I've in the last year of the dragon, no, not the last two two years of the dragon, because I believe the year 2000 was the year of the dragon. Um, I actually got I a book know. because I was super interested in the time from Burns and Noble, mm-hmm. and it's it has a whole chart in that of like, oh, you actually get three animals, and it's kind of like you know, in the Western zodiac, you have your your sun, your rising, your moon. Oh, sure. Yeah. So let's see. Earth snake. Snick. Snick. I just said an earth snake reminds me of a garter snake. And, you know, that, I mean, yes, I see worm. I hear, I feel that. But, like, I just think of garter snakes and, like, oh, I like garter snakes. They're fun. You're not wrong. Those born in earth years are intelligent and responsible and can be more on the traditional side. They have lots of common sense and avoid situations that are too risky or adventurous. They're highly practical and logical. Again, I don't think I subscribed to all of that, but uh, yeah, it's not. It's like any Zodiac. It's not completely wrong. I could probably read, you know, anybody's and be like, oh, sure. well, a You bit can kind of see that or yeah. whatever. I can kind of see why they would say that an earth snake and a tiger are only kind of a decent match. Like the, because the <laughs> risk of i mean if you're gonna call a snake risk averse or you know, yeah and the tiger i it's not that <laughs> it, it is it is the great uh the one of my favorite combinations of like somebody who just literally dives into a bar fight and somebody standing back going you shouldn't do that yeah do you need band-aids Let's see. The earth snake is the most traditional, responsible of the five elements. All right. I'll take that. Uh, stays true to its principles and acts with integrity, which makes it highly reliable. But don't think that this cool and collected snake is without passion. There is no doubt that the earth snake is full of fervor. <laughs> I don't know why I tried to read that like Casey Casey. You but... sure did. I mean, this. I was trying to no make doubt. some sort this of earth... like trouser snake joke and it just like. I couldn't formulate something in enough time, but, you know, just this know that it, I'm working. It's full of fervor. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's see what the, how the snake lines up otherwise. Snake. I, I can't help it. Mm. So my great matches are ox and rooster. My good matches are dog, rat, rabbit, snake, dragon, goat, and then decent match. Tiger, horse, monkey. Uh, and then bad match is a pig. Oh. So, yeah. It, it it is it be what it be and yeah uh you can you can look up your your own zodiac if you, mm-hmm. if you type that in a lot of places you know it's pretty easy it's every 12 years so that's yeah. a really good mm-hmm. <laughs> indicator of of when the, your zodiac is going to be it's it's kind of nice it's not like the month you were born and even then you know trying to figure out the western zodiac it's more just the year the lunar year that you're mm-hmm. born okay well i'm glad that we are at least a decent match. I think that explains a lot of our friendship. So. Is, uh, is definitely the year that we're, we're born. Sure. So again, this this twenty twenty four is as uh, the year of the dragon, much as twenty twelve was, two thousand was before that. Uh, again, every twelve years. But uh, yeah, so this being the year of the dragon, let, let's talk dragons. Dragons. Talk, I love dragons. Talk, 
Chinese dragon. So the Chinese dragon, or long, Mm -hmm. as they are commonly known, L-O-N-G, and it's pronounced just like that, Mm -hmm. uh, is a complex creature with a massive sprawling history that goes back again millennia. Uh, Its purpose in Chinese culture is as vast as the borders of the nation itself. And like I said, it's far from a singular entity. It is not a monolith. It is a being that has been used to represent uh, power, like real world authority, wisdom, natural disasters, luck, creation, destruction, and so much more, and continues to do so even into the modern era for a lot of people around the world. You know, even now mm-hmm. we we have the minute details of a Long's design that can tell us so much just about how it was created, why it was created, who's wearing it. And that, that meaning kind of carries over, which is really funny because especially in like American culture, we see Chinese dragons everywhere, you know, especially like in the early two thousands where like every, you know, you had the, the guys with fedoras who were also wearing like the bowling shirts that were just covered in dragon designs. Uh, I'm not saying it wasn't a bad look. It was it was pretty tight. But, so yeah. so okay. I'm I'm gonna detour for a second. One of the theaters, yeah. the one of the theaters that I primarily work at, is well known because of its arc, its interior architecture has a dragon with a pearl in its mouth hanging from like as a chandelier for the ceiling. It's this massive yeah. sculpture. It's absolutely stunningly beautiful, and it used to be the logo for a long time until they changed it. Um, but it was a you know it was built in the 19. 19- 20s i want to say or slightly before run like those that kind of imagery was also super popular but the dragon itself is absolutely stunning and you know that theater is gorgeous yeah it is yeah, the, the design of it is absolutely incredible um and yes but very much so where when that kind of that, that has very asiatic design mm-hmm. to it there's a lot of influences from uh hindu and philippine and thai and and chinese and japanese culture it's all kind of tied into the architecture of that theater i know the one you're talking yeah. about um yeah, and so yeah, we see these dragons everywhere. I mean, hell, the Mortal Kombat symbol has a Chinese dragon yep. on it. They are they are literally everywhere. You go to the mall and you find that one shop that sells, you know, like blunt samurai swords. You're going to find a dragon statue there. So we see them all the time, and yet you might not realize that the design of this, this creature has over 10,000 years that has gone into it to make it such actually probably not 10,000 probably more like 7,000 this yeah. long time a long time Very long several time. thousand years yeah so what is a long what is a chinese dragon we see them all the time but like what what makes them what they are i don't um, know let's find out all right. as mentioned they are one of the 12 chinese zodiac totemic symbols one of the 12 zodiac mm-hmm. animals uh they are also noted as one of the four benevolent animals or four holy beasts of chinese culture uh which also are noted as constellations hey. and uh, yeah from what i could read there are the four benevolent beasts the four holy beasts are somewhat disputed based on writings again there's thousands of years where people yes will you know change them out based on their own interests or or politics or really anything else because you know the the philosophy and culture really does tie a lot into a lot of these dynasties throughout chinese history 
Right. Well, in Chinese culture itself, I mean, like there isn't there's so many subcultures within what we consider oh, as the Chinese culture. There's so many distinct ethnic groups within China itself that like even. Yeah, it's a know. massive country that's been invaded, has invaded. And and again, every time that one dynasty falls and another takes over, the dragon changes a little bit with that. And so does I mean, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But f- what I found is that when it comes to the four holy beasts, the dragon is the one constant. The other three can change. The dragon is always there. Interesting. The other three, t- typically from what I found, the, the most stable list has the Azure Dragon, the, mm-hmm. the King Long, which is uh, like the, the, prim- it's the most celestial mm-hmm. of the four. Uh, then the other three are the Zhukui, which is the vermilion bird, which is sometimes um, interchanged with the phoenix. Oh, yeah. The Baihu, which is the white tiger, which is sometimes interchanged with a kilin, which is a another furry quadrupedal, kind of draconic yeah, looking yeah, thing, yeah, but it's yeah. it's more mythical. Mm-hmm. And the Xuanhu, which is a like black tortoise or turtle like creature. Okay. That one's pretty constant as well, but. It sometimes, yeah, sometimes gets tossed around as well. But the Azure Dragon is associated with the the cardinal direction east mm-hmm. and also the element of wood. So they all also have their elements connected to them. They have a cardinal directions attached to them as well. So, again, we, we still haven't actually said what uh, a <laughs> no. long actually looks like. So, so let's get into that. Okay. The person that most scholars look to, that most artists still look to, uh, is a man named Wang Fu. He was a historian and philosopher in the Eastern Han Dynasty. And his description of the dragon is one that has lasted. Mm. And so that's where a lot of people really like look to because it's one of the older depictions and it's one that has still kind of had, held true. So what he said is the people paint the dragon shape with a horse's head and a snake's tail. Further, there are expressions as three joints and nine resemblances. I'm going to let everyone know now, there's going to be a lot of numbers, and all of the numbers are important. You don't have to remember them. I will tell you them again. I have already um, forgotten them. I will fully admit. I... Nine is going to be the really important okay. number. And and most, other, most numbers that are said otherwise are either... Uh, a part of nine, such as three, sure. or a number that is divisible by nine. Okay. N- nine is a very important number in Chinese philosophy and culture. But, so again, there's nine resemblances. There are nine animals that make up the long. Interesting. Yes. So from head to shoulder, from shoulder to breast, from breast to tail, those are the three segments. Mm-hmm. And there are joints. There are nine resemblances. So the nine animals are the head of a camel. The ears of a bull or a cow. Okay. The eyes of a rabbit or, depending on your translation, a demon. Okay. Because those are interchangeable, right? Totally. I mean, depending on who, on your philosophy on rabbits, sure. And whether yes, or not you if watch... you've read Banicula, yes. Read Banicula, um, watched Buffy, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, watched Monty Python, Holy Grail. Exactly. Yeah. Same uh, thing. The antlers of a stag. Mm-hmm. The body, or sometimes the translation is neck, of a snake, because mm-hmm. they are very serpentine. The belly of a clam, you know, the armored kind of oh. belly to them that, like, overlays, yes. right? Yes. Back when I did episode 45, I was very confused by that until I, like, actually took a second to think about it. I was like, oh, yeah, like a clamshell, because yeah. it is, sure. you know, it's also maybe um, a little vibrant, reflective even. The scales of a carp. 
and there are 117 scales. They are very specific, 117 scales, 81 of which uh, have the essence of yang, like yin and yang. Okay. So 81 of which are positive, uh-huh. 36 are yin, so negative. So dragons do have a little bit of darkness to uh-huh. them. They have the feet or soles of a tiger, which makes them have little toe beans. Cute. We love toe beans. And they have the talons of an eagle. And the number of their talons is very important. Typically, it's five or four. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's two. But more often than not, you're going to see five or four. And that number is is going to be very important later based on who can actually depict that dragon. Interesting. Uh, there have actually been there have been laws passed in history uh, involving even execution based on the number of claws a dragon can have. Whoa. So in addition to all of that, uh, a dragon also has a, basically a bladder, mm-hmm. uh, an inflatable bladder on its head called a shimu, mm-hmm. which uh, if a dragon does not have one, it cannot fly. Oh. Which Wang Fu is actually the only one who kind of notes this more often than not dragons, because most, mm-hmm. most Chinese dragons don't have wings. Some right. do. There is a specific type that does, but most don't. So it's kind of thought that they like fly mystically. They're magical beings. They soar through the sky. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, 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 no. They have an inflatable bladder and their heads that lets them fly. Uh So he's actually trying to like almost make a a biology statement on this. Other sources give variant lists to the nine animal resemblances. Uh, Sinologist Henry Doré lists these characteristics of uh, an authentic dragon. He says they have the antlers of deer, Mm -hmm. the head of a crocodile, a demon's eyes, neck of a snake, a tortoise's viscera, a hawk's claws, the palms of a tiger, a cow's ear, and it hears through its horns, its ears being deprived of all the power of hearing. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And even others say that it has... Uh, rabbit's eyes, a frog's belly, and a carp scales. Again, we're kind of like circling the right. same number, but but Wang Fu is really the one that we look to. Mm-hmm. So other countries even say we're looking at that the dragon is supposed to be a an amalgamation or a chimera of the other 11 animals of the Chinese zodiac. Oh, that makes sense. Th- I mean, that would make sense because we love the patterns like that too. Right. You know, it, and if you are, again, we talk about dragons being chimeric. They are a combination of all these different animals, often animals that we fear or revere. Mm-hmm. So whiskers of a rat, face and horns of an ox, again, claws and teeth of a tiger, belly of a rabbit. And sometimes you do see dragons with like fur on them. Yeah. I mean, you know? I keep thinking when, you know, you talk about them representing luck and stuff. I can only, yeah. of course, think of Falcor. Falcor, the luck dragon. The luck dragon, who does have some of those characteristics that you would find that, I mean, that are being described in the Chinese dragons. Like, he's furry, but, you know, there, he also doesn't have wings. And there's the, the head shape is, is remarkably similar to Mm. that. Anyway, I'm just, I have a tattoo of Falcor. I just have never stories circling in Mm -hmm. my brain right now. Yep. Um, So, yes, body of a snake, legs of a horse, goatee of a goat. Wit of a monkey. You don't get a physical part, just the wit. Uh, the crest of a rooster, the ears of a dog, and the sound of a pig. But again, really when you, a lot of people, if you're going to see anybody talking about like, oh, this these are the mm-hmm. animals, they're going to be looking to Wang Fu and his nine, because again, nine is an important number. Right. Another important physical detail of Longs is their pearl. Uh, the longs pearl. are often depicted concealing, yes, a large pearl. Sometimes the pearl itself is a flame. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they're holding it in their claws or in their mouth or under their chin. Sometimes you don't even see it at all. 
Uh, but the pearl is associated with spiritual energy, mm-hmm. wisdom, prosperity, power, immortality, thunder. Sometimes it's meant to represent the sun or the earth and or the moon all together. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even uh, the artwork will depict dragons chasing or fighting over a single pearl. And there's there's even mythology oh. that like there have been people in, you know, in folklore, it said that if you find a pearl you can yourself become a dragon and a guardian over the land. There are some uh, some stories that are, are told from, you know, we don't know where they originated, but it's, you know, a farmer has uh, a lord over his land who is very greedy and taking all the crops. And while he is tending the fields, he finds a pearl, becomes a dragon, overthrows the lord, and becomes protector of his land. So the, the pearl is very important. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of theories about why... Wang Fu really pulls from those nine animals. Um, one of my favorite theories is that each of those concepts, each of those symbols was a symbol of a different tribe that came together to essentially create what was proto-China at the time. Oh. So if you had a fishing village that was, you know, uh, they they pulled up a lot of clams, mm-hmm. a clam might represent them. You know, if you had, uh, if, if you had, a, you know, a, somebody using a snake as a totemic representation mm-hmm. or they were cattle, uh, you know, herders, that these would all be different parts that you could piece together to make the dragon to say, like, we are no longer individual. You know, we have, you know, to Americanize this, we have pulled all our stars <laughs> and stripes together right. to make this lovely nation of ours. So, you know, other things are like, oh, these are all qualities that are admirable, sure. you know, to to have... Uh, protection to be, you know, a good at hearing and have claws and all this kind of stuff would be a good thing to have. But I like the wit of the monkey as one of the resemblances for that reason. Absolutely. Like that, you know, you want to be witty and smart and tricksy and that's that's a good quality to have. And playful. Steal and things. Yeah. And throw your poo. Yeah. So dragons lungs also have a lot of powers just... Of course. Like, uh, they put Western dragons to shame mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. Even, like, if you look at the most mythical of Western dragons, uh, lungs are just, like, they can they can do almost anything uh, because they are almost deific. They mm-hmm. are, like, one step below gods. And some even are, do achieve uh, a deific representation. But they have... Some do breathe fire. Mm-hmm. More often than that, they are connected to water, though. Yeah. So, as we said, they, they can fly... Uh, they can shapeshift. They can shapeshift to be as small as a silkworm. They can look like people. Um, they can be just absolutely massive. They're often highly intelligent. Some are, you know, said in certain myths to be to be able to speak. Uh, they can turn invisible. They can summon storms, control water and other elements. And you know, they they're also said to be very benevolent and wise. And What's interesting about their powers and and what dragons do in stories takes a really interesting shift once Buddhism becomes a thing in mainland China. Interesting. Uh, Because Buddhists really are the ones that introduce the concept of yin and yang and of balance of spirit. So when, when Buddhists introduced the concept of like malevolent influence, that actually became something that got put on dragons as well. And just Hmm. as they say, water destroys... Some dragons can destroy via floods, tidal waves, and storms because they have that yang aspect to them. Dragons are not all inherently good and benevolent. They have that darkness to them. They have the potential, just as people do, to be bad. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, and yeah, there's, there's even suggestions in ancient times that some of the worst floods were believed to be caused by dragons. That makes sense. You, if you have a being that powerful that like, and if you have a being that powerful who is all good, it doesn't, it, it sort of is hard to sort of wrap your mind around when bad things do happen. So having them be, have that little bit of that darkness associated with them helps explain the really horrific events that do happen in this world too. Yeah, especially the things you can't prevent and you can't stop. You can't mm-hmm. help to blame it on a dragon. It's it's easier for our brains to think of, you know, we talked about this on previous episodes, it's easier to think of a conspiracy yeah. than just accept that the universe is a scary, uncaring place that just random bad things happen in. Yep. Um, you know, we're always looking for a purpose. So, like I said, they can become as small as a silkworm, as large as the entire universe, this said. They can fly amongst clouds, hide in water. Uh, they can form clouds. They can blend in with their surroundings. They can basically have an effective form of camouflage, or they can choose to glow in the dark, according to to one uh, philosopher, Shu uh, Wen Zhizhi. In the 17th century, scholar Shi Zhaozhe's text, The Five Assorted Offerings, actually has his own experience with dragons. According to Shi, mm-hmm. while at the age of 10, he was traveling at sea with his uncle, who was a diplomat. Mm-hmm. And at one point, while aboard this ship, they were caught in the middle of a storm. So there's wind, rain, hail, thunder, lightning. And he says that he saw three dragons in the sky surrounding them, summoning this storm. And an elder who was traveling with them reassured them that they were totally fine. Mm -hmm. uh, Since they were actually traveling as, again, the uncle was a diplomat for the emperor. Uh, The elder said that their travel was, uh, because it was for diplomatic purposes, the dragons just wanted to hear what the news was from the emperor. (laughs) And they just accidentally summoned this storm. Because that's just what dragons they do. They, they are so powerful. Yeah. yeah, they're just they're just super excited to hear what the emperor had to say. <laughs> and in another work, uh, Guideways Through the Mountains and Seas by Shan Haijing, the dragon appears called the God of Thunder, who would drum on his stomach to actually stir up thunder. And so again, that connection to rain, to storms, to thunder. They're they're much more aquatic. In a way, even though they don't live always underwater, they often live in the sky, but they have that connection to being able to summon storms, Sure, which I think is really interesting. Uh, even in the Song Dynasty, dragons were inherently connected to the rain cycle. So they actually had a calendar that would talk about the rain cycle and they would have certain dragons associated saying like, this dragon brings this type of rain, this type of rain. It's going to stop here because this dragon leaves or comes or goes. Yeah. Let's, I love that. Let's talk types of dragons yes. because there's there's a lot. There's there's not just one. Like I said, Chinese dragon. In fact, we're we're not going to talk about all of them. But the linguist Michael Carr analyzed at one time over 100 ancient dragon names. That's so many. Just individual dragon. Oh, those are yeah, individual dragons. Individual dragon names, but there are different types of dragons. Okay, and there are quite a few. So so let's let's talk about types of dragons. In the ancient cosmology, there are four main types of dragons. Mm-hmm. It does not stay that way, but these are the original four. There is the Tianlong, which was the original celestial dragon. Mm-hmm. They guarded heavenly places. They pulled divine chariots of gods. That was also the name of the constellation for, whereas the, the Greeks called it Draco, the Chinese oh. called it Tianlong. Oh, yeah. sure. I find that fascinating that um, we have, that they the same constellation... Or a similar constellation are both dragons. 
Oh yeah, we're going to talk about how every fucking continent has dragons here in a oh, little yeah. bit because my my brain can't help it. Um, I'm a sucker for it's that. It's wild. And I was just it, talking about that with my coworkers so today too, as well. Actually, <laughs> I have so many theories. Um, one of which is that dragons are real. So the next one is the Fujianlong, mm-hmm. which are whereas the the Tianlong lives in the sky is celestial. The Fujianlong is the underworld guardian, Ooh. and they are guardians of precious metals, jewels, and often associated with volcanoes. Oh, I love them, right? Mm-hmm. And they kind of fit more of like the Western dragon because they have the whole like uh, the the treasure mm-hmm. hoard kind of deal. I'm a material girl. I love a gem dragon. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, diamonds are a Fujian Long's best friend. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's what the song is. Uh, there is the Shenlong, mm-hmm. which is uh, essentially a thunder god. It's it's because God doesn't carry like lowercase G God, right? Yeah, of course. Thun- thunder God. This one specifically controls weather. Often has an appearance of a humanoid head as opposed to the draconic head, sure but still has the that. dragon's body and gets tied into the. Uh, this is the the same one I was talking about that. Is mentioned in the guideways through mountains and seas, which drums on his stomach to summon thunder. Mm-hmm. That's fun. I, you know, humanoid heads on on beasts and creatures is always a little strange to me, but it's one of the most upsetting. Manticores are very upsetting to me. Yes, um, that was also something about the piazza, the the North American dragon, mm-hmm. uh, which is it's part of a. a Pictograph? Pictograph? Okay. It's a painting on stone. Right. I can't remember what that's called. But uh, that's right over the Mississippi River, just north of St. Louis, and still is there. It was. It's been redone, but the piazza had a very humanoid head, and I find, I find that very scary for some yeah, reason. I, um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the fourth of the original four is the Dailong, which was the controller of rivers and seas, and also is the same word that is used for earthworm. Interesting. Spe- speaking of worms. Speaking of worms. In other traditions, they add five more so that they can have the number nine, because important. again, nine's an important number. So they added the Yinlong, mm-hmm. which was actually a winged Chinese dragon. So there oh. were Chinese dragons that had wings. Their front legs had bat-like wings, very much like a wyvern. Okay. Uh, but they still had more of like a sneaky body. Mm-hmm. But they were associated with rains and floods, and they were originally used by the the Yellow Emperor as, as part of like their their symbology. They became uh, the, the Yellow Emperor is also a type of dragon, and also theorized to be an actual historical figure as well. Who it was an emperor who was said that when he died became a dragon. Cool. Glad to have that kind of legacy. Yeah, there's, we'll we'll talk about all the emperors and their their tie-ins to dragons because they yeah the the dynasties definitely tie themselves. Like mm-hmm. one to one with draconic <laughs> ancestry. There's the Kwailong, which was a horned dragon. Although, interesting. It also says that the they have been defined both as horned and hornless. So I guess it depends on on who you ask at what point in time you're you're talking about the Kwailong, because I, I guess they've been depicted as both horned and hornless. Otherwise, that's the only thing that differentiates them. But don't most of the dragons? I mean, most at least. According to what you were saying earlier, is that most mm-hmm. dragons have resemblances of horns or antlers or something. Yeah, they're, they're supposed to have stag antlers. I think these have horns instead. Oh. I, like actual, like like straightened. I Like I said, it's hard to tell because these are often depicted not one-to-one with their descriptions. Right. But these are kind of written down as like, oh, these are just dragons that we know about. These dragons have horns. These dragons don't have mm-hmm. horns. These dragons have antlers. There's the Penlong, which was a lake dragon that had not yet ascended to heaven. Mm-hmm. The Huanglong, 
which was the hornless dragon that symbolized the emperor specifically. Okay. And then there is the dragon king, which is a divine ruler of the four seas and also gets tied into a a number of other things. Dragon king means a lot of things depending on what time you you use the the long wang, Mm -hmm. which is we're all adults. I know that Long Wang is funny. It's another culture. Grow up. I yeah. I'm I'm talking. I'm not talking to no, LD on this one. I'm talking to you. Yeah. What's funny is I didn't even until you said anything. At least for me, y'all. Sometimes I was like, uh huh, sure. That's what that's called. Like, yes, the didn't dragon occur King. to me. Long Wang. Yeah. So yes, the the Long Wang is uh, depending on what time you're talking about it, uh, because it's a concept that also again came with the introduction of Buddhism. Uh, and Buddhism is very important even to the, the transmission of dragons because dragons made it to Japan, which, God, I wish we had time to talk about Japanese dragons. Nope. I know we're not going to. Um, but j- dragons made it to Japan by way of Buddhism. So they had already been oh. like altered by, by Buddhist beliefs right. by the time that they crossed the, the, you know, the narrow bit of water there between China and Japan. Playing telephone with dragons over here. Honestly, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, in in a major way. I mean, that's what a lot of myths kind of have done to that. I mean, yeah. look at what Christianity did to so many different <laughs> monsters as well so by the time they reach another place. So, yeah, religions have a way of changing monsters. Weird. That. Weird. Well, at least some things are consistent. So, yes, Buddhism, like I said before, they adopted dragons as a symbol of wisdom and royalty, but also, like, destruction in certain ways. Um Dragons even feature feature in Shintoism, mm-hmm. uh, which has the god Susanu killing an eight headed dragon. Like the, a lot of religions across the world, really feature dragons as an antagonist. Yeah. It's less so in Buddhism more than almost any other, but they still do feature as as a concept. There are still more types of dragons. We are not done yet. We <laughs> oh are my actually, god! Here we go. We are we are so far from done. <laughs> there is the uh, I'm going to try to get through these a little bit quicker. There is the Jiolong, which is a hornless or scaled dragon, which is the leader of all aquatic animals. Okay, just all of them. It's also called the crocodile dragon. Sure. There is the Phylong, which is uh, also called the flying dragon. It's a winged dragon that rides on clouds and mist. Aww. Also a name for a genus of pterosaur. Oh. Uh, there's the Qinglong, which is an animal associated with in the East with the, in the Chinese four symbols. It's a mythological creature in the Chinese constellations. Uh, there's the Zhulong, which is a torch dragon, uh, which also can translate to illuminating darkness, Aww. certain, uh, translations of it. It's a giant red draconic solar deity in Chinese mythology. Supposedly had a human's face again, yeah. snake's body. Created day and night by opening and closing its eyes and created seasonal winds by breathing. Badass, but also, oh, but badass. Okay, that's cool. Badass. Uh, the Shilong, which is a hornless dragon or mountain demon. Neat. Even more lesser dragons that don't necessarily uh, have the word long in them. One at least does. But the Long Ma, it was basically a dragon that uh, emerged from the Luo River. Okay. Other things not, not not as important there. The Hong, which was a two-headed dragon or rainbow serpent. <laughs> the Shen, which was a shape-shifting dragon or sea monster believed to create mirages. Uh. The Bashi, which was a giant python-like dragon that ate elephants. <laughs> uh, the Tang or Tengshi, which was a flying dragon without legs. 
And then Emperor Huizhong of the Song Dynasty, which again, the Song Dynasty was from 960 to 1279. It's a long time. And that's not even as old as they go. They These go back quite a while, but that's like just during this specific time, Emperor Huizhong uh, canonized five colored dragons as dragon kings. So again, we're back oh. to dragon kings. So again, we have the Azure Dragon, uh-huh. which was the most compassionate of kings. And again, the Azure Dragon also was one featured as one of the four benevolent beasts, right. the four holy beasts. Uh, then there's the Vermilion Dragon, mm-hmm. which was a king that bestowed blessings on lakes. Uh, the Yellow Dragon, which was the king that would hear all petitions. And also Yellow Dragon is often used as a symbol of uh, imperial might right. and as a symbol of the emperor themselves. Uh, the white dragon, which was a symbol of virtuous and pure kings, and the black dragon, which was a king that dwelled in the depths of mystic waters. Ooh, I love And that. all of those represented cardinal directions as well, just sure. like the holy beasts. Sure. So again, the azure dragon to the east, uh-huh. the vermilion white and black dragons uh, corresponded to basically the vermilion bird of the south, the white tiger of the west, the black tortoise to the north. Interesting. So again, they are tying into the benevolent bees as well. Yeah. This is so interesting. So I, I'm a big bookworm, as we know. And I, I was going to say, I didn't think I knew that much about Chinese dragons. And I admittedly don't. But I've been reading books like um, The Iron Widow, which some of these mm-hmm. concepts come up in. And then also I just finished reading uh, Priory of the Orange Tree. Uh, sure, which is yeah. super dense, but they they in that book they do tackle uh, both like the Western style dragons and then also the Chinese dragons are featured heavily and a lot of the mythology that you've been talking about is stuff that gets brought up and I'm like oh they like and I you can very much tell in Prior of the Orange Tree that they're pulling from Chinese dragon mythology for that sure, set yeah. of dragons, but I didn't realize how much of what they were pulling was stuff that was part of that mythology. And I just find that really interesting. It is so cool. Cause again, I mean, these have been thousands of years. Yeah. It's interesting what sticks around, what doesn't, what gets lost, what gets changed. We, we are finally to the last of our list of dragons. These are the cutie patooties. Oh. These dragons come from the Wujaju, which was a well-known work from the end of the 16th century which are about the nine different dragon younglings, oh. the young of the dragons. Baby dragons. So the baby dragons. I love a baby dragon. Uh, they can still be seen to this day because their their shapes are used as ornamentation on certain objects based on what they do. Oh. So we have the, the Pulao, which is a four-legged small dragon which likes to scream, so they are often featured on bells. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're used as like handles on bells. Um, Mood. But, <laughs> Just like to scream. I love that. Yeah. I, I'm not going there. Okay. Um, there's the... <laughs> there's, there's the uh, Queen Nui, which uh, which like music, so they are often used to adorn musical Aww. instruments. The Chai Wen, which like swallowing, don't say it, and are placed on mm. both ends of ridge poles of roofs because they are, uh, they basically will hold like the roof, so their little mouth will hold the uh, the, the pole on both ends of I'm, roofs. Mm, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I don't, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Chao Feng, which are, they like adventure, yeah. and they are placed on four corners of all the, the roofs, just as a symbol of adventure and looking out towards the horizon. The Yaji, which like to kill, so they are often engraved on sword guards, uh, a la Mulan. Ah! 
the Chichi, which are fond of literature and are often represented on the sides of grave monuments. Oh, mm-hmm. fond of literature. I love a book dragon. Right. That's cute. cute. I like that. Uh, the Bi'an, which like litigation and are placed over prison gates okay. in order to keep guard. Uh, I'm, <laughs> the, I'm... the most litigious of baby dragons. I'm good. Cop they can dragons. stay where they are. That's fine. The Shuanni, which like to sit down, so they are represented on the bases of Buddhist idols. Mm-hmm. The Bishi, uh, which are big tortoises that like to carry heavy objects and are often placed under grave monuments. The same author enumerates nine other kinds of dragons, <laughs> which are represented as ornaments of different objects or buildings, according to their liking for, yes, prisons, water, rank smell of newly caught fish and newly killed meat, wind, rain, ornaments, <laughs> smoke, shutting of mouth. Um, standing on steep places and fire. Basically, there's so many more dragons. So many dragons. That's not even. Yeah, that's not even scratching the surface. But uh, so plenty. I love of all singletons. Of them. To well, maybe those. not the yeah. litigation dragon. Maybe <laughs> not the litigious dragon. No. Not the not the the jail dragon. No. So to get into the the real world history mm-hmm. of of longs of Chinese dragons. I think it's really important to to talk about, you know, we, we can see how integral to Chinese culture they are. They're literally put on daily use objects. Mm-hmm. They are they're part of the, the day-to-day life of, of Chinese people, regardless of whether you are, you know, the lowliest peasant or the emperor themselves. And they have been that way for, for millennia. And that can be a really tough concept, you know, for, for people who grew up in places like the U.S., where the oldest stuff we have that is, you know, white European centric is a couple hundred years old. Right. Yes. You know, if we if we are talking about uh, like United States history, it only goes back a few hundred years. Mm-hmm. So we really don't have that like a good concept for a millennia spanning tradition, a, a tradition that has survived yeah. since like 5000 BCE. It's hard to fathom something that old, to be honest. It really is. But yeah, dragons are a real part of culture, religion, and and politics. You know, if we go back to the Han Dynasty, which was essentially 202 BCE to like 220 CE, where there was a brief interruption by the Qin of Dynasty. Course. But anyway, that was founded by Louis Bang, otherwise known as Emperor Gaozhu of Han. He was the founder of the mm-hmm. Han Dynasty. He is one of the first ones that's credited with saying that he has like the blood of a dragon. Okay. He said that he was conceived after his mother dreamt of a dragon. And so therefore he had the spirit of a dragon in him. In uh, other tellings, they kind of get a little more intimate with it and say that there was maybe a psychic, if not even physical link sure. from his mother to that dragon yeah. that uh, that gave him the spirit of a dragon. You know, uh, mm-hmm. that just I feel like that just goes to show that monster fucking is an old, old, old tradition. <laughs> it, is, it is the oldest of tradition. <laughs> You're absolutely right. When we say that dragons can shapeshift into people, we know what they're thinking. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. By the time of the Tang Dynasty in 618 uh, Common Era, the dragon had become a symbol of the emperor and high officials of imperial power. By the Yuan Dynasty, which was 1271 CE, the two-horned, five-clawed dragon was designated solely for the emperor, otherwise known as the Son of Heaven. Oh. So five claws becomes really important. Only the emperor can be depicted, can be shown wearing... A five-clawed dragon. Gotcha. Only the emperor's possessions can have five claws. If you are caught with a five-clawed dragon on your clothing, on your possessions, you could be executed. 
So the four-clawed dragon then becomes the, the dragon of princes and, and other nobles of lower nobles. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would continue on into the Ming Dynasty in 1368-1644 Common Era, the Qing Dynasty in 1644-1911. to I mean, we're, we're getting up into the 20th yeah. century at this point. Uh, it was even to the point where if the emperor was going to, like, give a gift, like, basically re-gift a piece of artwork, mm-hmm. the his, his, his underlings, essentially, if it was a statue, they would break off a claw. If it was a painting, they would smudge out or paint over a claw so that you could legally have it <laughs> as a gift from the emperor. That's wild. Yeah, there's artwork that that's still held today, um, unfortunately, in Western museums because you know. Boo. That's thing. But uh, but it does depict that there's you know artwork that we know was gifted down and has like a claw broken off yeah. so that it could be legally regifted. I love that it's it's scratching off the serial number theory, you know, and yeah, changing yeah. the names on your Raylo fan fiction so it doesn't. I mean, I hate to make those associations <laughs> with like. I mean, what is a, a true tradition of you know, five clauses for the emperor only and so four clauses acceptable. But, you know, all it's I this is I what I think is so funny about human nature in general is that those those things remain the same or are similar in other cultures as we have. You know, we have similar concepts today. Absolutely. Yeah. It's 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 that copyright. Yep. Uh, So the five clauses were meant to represent the five elements. Mm -hmm. Again, wood, fire, earth, metal, water. Yeah, during the the Qing Dynasty, the Imperial Dragon became the Yellow Dragon or Gold Dragon. That became an Imperial symbol. Uh, during the Ming Dynasty, it was briefly changed to red, mm-hmm. got changed back. Uh, the Imperial Throne was referred to as the Dragon Throne. Right. Uh, during the late Qing Dynasty, the dragon was even adopted as the national flag. I mean, even to this day in Imperial Palaces, Imperial Tombs, the Forbidden City in Beijing, all of those places feature... A lot of dragons. I mean, there's dragon statues, dragon iconography everywhere. It's just part of it. So freaking cool. And in some legends, it's said that an emperor might be born with a birthmark in the shape of a dragon. Uh, For one example, there's a legend that tells of a peasant born with a dragon birthmark who actually overthrows the existing dynasty, founds a new one, and then becomes a dragon after his death. That's amazing. Um, another legend that tells of a, a prince who's hiding from his enemies, who's identified because he has a dragon. Sure, of course. So Classic. Yeah. So um, now begins my rant on how dragons are dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, Let's or, or go. Or my rant on, on how dragons are dragons and why they're on every continent. I find it fucking wild that dragons are on every continent. Every it continent, almost every culture on Earth has, has something that you can consider a dragon. It's wild. Especially if you... It's so wild, especially if you talk about a dragon being a reptilian monster that is large, Mm -hmm. chimeric in the sense that it combines a bunch of things that we as humans find scary and then eats people and hoards wealth. It's such a common concept. Often Often. fly. Not Not always, always, but very often. Because we do have worms, especially if you look like sea serpents. I'm going to tie sea serpents. Sure. I often don't. I'm going to. Sea serpents get tied into this. Worms get tied into this. Of course, you Mm -hmm. know, the W-Y-R-M-S worms. But dragons are really interesting in China because the Chinese have a very good reason for believing that dragons were slash are a thing. And that is the fact that there are so many rich deposits of fossils, like Cretaceous and Jurassic fossils in China. So 
so dragon dragon like depictions have been found up to like the Neolithic period mm-hmm. in ar- archaeological sites throughout China. Some of the earliest depictions of dragons were found at the Xinglonghua culture sites. I mean, even that Xinglonghua, it, it has dragon <laughs> in the name of it. Uh, the Yangshao culture sites in Xi'an have produced uh, clay pots with dragon motifs. A burial site in Xingshupo and Poyang was associated with Yangshao culture, has a large dragon mosaic made out of clamshells. And this we're, we're talking about this going back to, again, 6200 mm-hmm. to 5400 BCE. I mean, this is thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. Like this is, you know, when the pyramids are being built kind of years that dragons were part of Chinese culture already at that time. Mm -hmm. So the Hongshan culture sites in present day Inner Mongolia have jade dragon objects in the form of pig dragons. Pig dragons are a very specific thing, which are the first three dimensional representations of Chinese dragons. I sent you a picture of what a pig dragon is oh, on our Oh, is that what Discord. that is? So th- that's the first image. So oh. a pig dragon is specifically a dragon that has more of a boar type face. Sure. Uh, more of like a stu- like a stunted nose. Uh-huh. I see. Um, it. So it is draconic, but it doesn't have like the the traditional Chinese dragon face, which is more slender and snake like, right? Or camel like, well, I yeah. suppose, which is what the what the intention was. So dragon like motifs uh, were also found in reddish brown stone in the Shanghai site mm-hmm. and Liaoning. In this would be the Xinglonghua culture again, okay. sixty hundred to fifty four hundred BCE. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also discovered a dragon like statue dating back to the again, 5th millennium BCE from the Yingxiao culture. Uh, they found jade badges of rank in coiled form, which have been excavated from the Hongshan culture. That was probably 4,700 to 2,900 BCE. So we're talking, I mean, that's a couple thousand years span, mm-hmm. but that's still, we're, we're going back that far. And again, they are still using the pig dragon carvings mm-hmm. uh, because the dragon would change over time as well as as artistic styles would change as well. It's a long time to be doing, I mean, to be depicting creatures that are recognizably dragons. Like, it's still really long time. And again, that's why, you know, there's no solitary dragon. Mm -hmm. You can't just point, you can't say the European dragon is a a single dragon because even in European culture, there's 15 different types of dragons at least. You know, a wyvern is not a European dragon, which has technically six limbs. Um, Yeah. Anyway. Uh, in 265 to 317 CE, there are records of the, and this is where we get into the dinosaur part mm-hmm. of it. There are records of the Jin dynasty, which make note of finding what we now know to be dinosaur bones. Well, I had wondered about so, that actually, if that, that, I mean, it makes sense when you look at dinosaur bones that you look at that and you're like, that is a mythical creature because the head's so big and the, there's no way that that thing actually existed. Absolutely. And I, I talk about this literally every time we talk about dragons. I'm going to talk about it again. When you look at certain fossils and you don't know what you're looking at, it is more than reasonable to say that is a monster. Oh. Especially when looking at a dinosaur. A dinosaur is a monster. Yeah. You, you you can't say that it's not. Especially if you're talking about, you know, again, in certain parts of Mongolia and certain parts of China, you have Cretaceous dinosaurs, which is when the T-Rex existed. Uh, it's when, like, large sauropods existed. Cool. Imagine finding, like, you know, a Brachiosaurus with that long neck and not finding the body. That's a that's a Chinese dragon. Yeah. That very long neck extending into the spine and everything. Absolutely. And there are plenty of sauropods in that area, which would qualify for it. Or finding a pterosaur. 
and and thinking like, you know, is this a, a dragon? Well, and I think too, I mean, even uh, us as humans today, when we find things like a whale skeleton, for instance, yeah. when we don't know what that is, like those are terrifying. And that's a whale, which generally, I mean, depending on what kind of whale is, is generally not super harmful, but it looks monstrous. Absolutely. So the other thing that I always like kind of point out uh, that I think is really interesting are, you know, how often certain fossils can be like clearly linked to certain monsters, huh. uh, like almost a one to one. So I'm, I just sent you two images. I'm going to look, talk about the second one here that I just sent. That is the skull of a mammoth, woolly mammoth. Oh, oh. Or is that the skull of a cyclops? Right. Yeah. I can, I see it. Because I is see that, the vision. Is that not an eye hole in the center? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't, if you've never seen an elephant before, which I mean, certain people in, in Greece probably would not have if they had not traveled, you know, across or around the Mediterranean mm-hmm. to get to Africa to see an elephant or over to Asia to see an elephant. That is very reasonably a cyclops. Sure is. There's, instead of a trunk, that's an eye hole. And then you have the sides where the, where the well, ears Well, because the be. one and you have the big tusks. eye hole is where you would expect to find eyes. If you, you've seen a human skull, you've seen other animal skulls, and the eyes are right there. So, yeah. Exactly. You know, or um, actually, I kind of like this one, too, because it, it kind of is scary if you imagine what a, a cyclops would look like with with that skull because if you find the lower jaw that looks very humanoid but with these big monstrous tusks coming out of it the other thing that i always talk about and i apologize to anybody who's listened to more than one episode of this because i I talked about i told myself i wouldn't do it (laughs) i have no no self-control this is uh there's a greek amphora which depicts uh, essentially hercules fighting uh the monster cetus Uh and if you if you look at it, it it's very odd uh, this I, I remember the first time I saw this was in my college mythology class, but it, see this looks kind of weird. It looks blobbish. The skull looks odd until you realize that it's just a Saurian skull <laughs> coming out of a mountain that a Greek artist probably saw and painted while like in its presence. He probably like you can see the skull holes of what was potentially you know um, probably not a T Rex, probably something smaller. Mm-hmm. But you can see the sharp teeth. It's it's just a skull that probably got exposed during a rock slide or a mudslide, which was frequently happen. You know that was that was something that would that would come up from time to time, and so the you know we have this artistic depiction of literally somebody finding a fossil, seeing a monster, and painting it as such. The other thing that I like to uh, to point out are triceratops skulls sure. or similar, um, not triceratops, but the other branches oh. of of that species uh-huh. and how you could confuse them for a griffin, especially if you oh, don't have the big horn. Yeah, because they've got they that have the beak, beak. They have the no, crest. Uh-huh. Exactly. So when you look at like dinosaurs and where they're found in certain parts of the world, and then you look at like, oh, Persian cultures had the griffin. Oh, they also had triceratops skulls. Oh, you know, we had these dinosaurs here. Oh, these really correlate to this monster or this monster. Right. It, it kind of, it becomes very interesting in that hmm. sense. But then you also do have dragons that exist where fossils aren't found. Uh, like I said, there's there's plenty of uh, dragons in North American culture. There's plenty of dragons in places that don't necessarily have uh, the the fossils to back them up. So right. is there also something in our in our DNA that makes us create dragons? Is there something in uh, our collective 
mental history as human beings that makes us think of the scariest thing we can think of is a dragon. Yeah. Putting all of our fears together, it always seems to make the same general shape. It's like the evolution of the crab. Ex- yeah, it all it's comes like back to crabs. It all comes Absolutely. back to dinosaurs. Yeah. Or, uh, it all dragons. comes back to crabs. It all comes back to dragons. Yeah, actually, um, Carl Sagan actually wrote uh, in his, he wrote a book called The Dragons of Eden, mm-hmm. where he theorizes that we as mammals have a genetic memory of dinosaurs. Like from the earliest mammals that would have existed around dinosaurs and that we carry that genetic memory up to this day and still make dragons in our minds because that was still the biggest thing to fear back then. It's still the thing to fear now. It's like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. Yeah, we, we... we pit reptilians as something to fear mm-hmm. and we'll get to reptilian aliens one of these days too. And that <laughs> ties into it as well, but that's not taking that. We're not going in that no. rabbit hole right no. now, but we have like, you know, the biblical uh, serpent in the garden, yeah. also uh, a reptile to fear. And that comes in to a lot of different myths where you have something fighting a reptilian of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I find it very, very interesting, but I mean, even to this day, dinosaur bones are sold in China under the the name dragon bones. Really? It, they're they're used medicinally oh. because there are there are oh, so oh, many okay. dig sites and paleontological sites uh, that th- you can just get dinosaur bones if you if you go to a market and you know where to look, you can get quote unquote ground up dragon bones that are used medicinally. Honestly, that reminds me that dragon's blood is a resin, and so like that, I think. You know, and I feel like resin and I, I'm trying to make a connection here between resin and amber and, dra- and dinosaurs and dragons in there too. Oh, feels... I mean, yeah. Amber as well, yeah. where you, you've got things trapped in it. Yeah. Um, you know, we know that in, in Shenku in 300 BCE, there are documents that describe the discovery of quote, dragon bones in Sichuan. Uh, there's uh, the modern Chinese term for dinosaur is actually written as what translates to Kong Long, the terror dragon, mm-hmm. which, I mean, that's that's kind of funny when you think of, like, you know, T-Rex's, uh, you know, tyrant lizard, and we have, we have similar names for him right, as well. Right, exactly. Um, so villagers in central China have long unearthed, quote-unquote, dragon bones. Again, they use them in, in traditional medicines. And, yeah, it is a practice that exists to this day. You could go to China, you could buy ground-up dinosaur bone, and it would be something that would be uh, used medicinally, ground-up dragon bone. But yeah, even the the binomial name, so the the name that combines two words of dinosaurs is also uh, Mai Long, which means sleeping dragon. That's another oh. name that's used for if you find, because certain dinosaurs are often found kind of like curled up because right. they often get covered in mudslides, rockslides, and tar pits, things yeah. like that. So a dinosaur was found nestling its snout between one of its forelimbs and circling its tail around its oh. body. So it was called the sleeping dragon. It was in a coiled form. And so also when you look at the pig dragon in that jade circle, yeah. there's theories that that's where that comes from. Oh, that's so neat. And much to your point about whales, there's also a theory that in coastal regions of China, Korea, and Vietnam, that traditional legends of worshipping whales as whale gods, which was a uh-huh. thing, as the guardians of people of the sea, would have been converted to dragon gods sure. when Buddhism took over in those areas. Ah, wild. So we're almost through, <laughs> through to the end. 
We're going to talk about numerology oh, and depictions. Okay. We're going to we're going to get into the math fun of it. Um, if you, you all just yeah, just zone out for a little bit if you don't like math, if you don't like numbers. But uh, again, numbers were really important mm-hmm. to uh, a lot of the things we talked about. The number nine being a really big deal. The number of scales that they had uh, being 117. Uh, which is, you know, supposed to be that balance of, of yin and yang. Not a perfect balance. Right. They're they're more yang than yin. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even the number of their claws, the number of three segments, it, it's, it all means something. So the number nine specifically is special in China because it is seen as the number of heaven. Uh, the Chinese right. dragons are frequently connected with it. Nine aspects of them, mm-hmm. nine main types of dragons. You know, uh, you know, things are divisible by nine because 117 is nine by nine multiplied by oh, 13. Sure. Okay. Yeah. The the number of yang 81 mm-hmm. is nine times nine. The number of yin is nine times four. Um. So nine is hidden in all of it, and then the three segments three times three is nine. So. There are, you know, nine forms of the dragon, nine sons of the dragon. Uh-huh. Okay. There's a place name that's used frequently called the Nine Dragon Wall. And there's, like, simply when you say that, you're referring to one specific place, but there's a number of other places that do use that. But it is considered a spirit wall, has an image of nine different dragons. Okay. So, again, nine, dragons, nine times yeah. nine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's found in Imperial Chinese palaces and gardens. Uh, because, oh, again, okay. nine is also the number of the emperor. Mm-hmm. Only the most senior officials are about allowed to wear nine dragons on their robes. Uh, and I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So lower ranking officials, again, it was it was a, it was a symbol of status. You couldn't have nine. How dragons. many claws mm-hmm. they had, how many you had. Lower ranking officials could only have eight or five dragons. Mm-hmm. And uh, only the emperor himself wore a dragon on his main robe with one of its nine dragons. Otherwise you could only wear it on a surcoat. You couldn't even wear it on your main robes. You could only wear it over your main robes. Right. It was such a specific fashion statement, the number of dragons you had and the claws they had. Amazing. So, again, they talk about the nine offspring of dragons. We kind of talked about them, uh-huh. the nine baby dragons. Yeah. It's also important how you depict a dragon. Okay. It is considered bad luck to depict a dragon facing downwards in artwork. Oh, okay. Because that is seen as disrespectful because the dragon cannot ascend to the sky. A dragon should not look downwards. A dragon should look up. Oh. Uh, also, depictions of dragons and tattoos are super prevalent even to this day. They are symbols of strength and power. Yeah. But also, be careful what you get and where you get because they're also symbols of criminal organizations. They are, yeah. <laughs> so, they are. So, yeah. Uh, just like all tattoos, whether you get Nordic tattoos or tattoos from any culture, they have been co-opted. Do your research. Talk to your tattoo Why all of my dragons are very fandom-specific dragons. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and again, yes, there's a number of places in China called Nine Dragon. The Nine Dragon Wall is more specific, but you'll have places in Kowloon and Hong Kong. There's a part of the Mekong River in Vietnam, which is known, uh, also translates to Nine Dragons, the Kulong. So Nine Dragon, again, features in a lot of places. And this is something I, I find a little bit interesting. I didn't know where to put this, but there's an art historian named John Boardman who, when talking about the pig dragon and how the dragon depiction adapted uh-huh. over the millennia, he has a theory that it was actually that Asian dragons were influenced by European dragons, oh. especially Greek dragons. And his theory is that when the Silk Road was you know, at its uh-huh. height, Greek traders would have had depictions of Cetus, right. and, which was more reptilian. Mm-hmm. 
and that would have influenced because Cetus was also very serpentine, yes. big sea monster, mm-hmm. would have influenced artistic depictions of Chinese dragons as the the trade would have happened. There's there's I don't think there's a lot of proof to that, but I think it's a fun theory. I wish I had paid better attention in my Silk Road class, although I don't think we covered mythology of dragons in that class. It was really boring. What a bummer. I mean, what did you even learn? I look, I that <laughs> class was too early in the morning. I I and I thought the class sounded interesting when I took it, which is why I took it. I did not do well in that class. I also I took a dinosaur class <laughs> in college, and I was like, I'm gonna rock this. And then it was like, oh, this is the bad part of dinosaurs. It's all boring. Ew. I don't want to know this. I don't want to learn about rocks. So again, to to kind of just retouch on the dragons have the powers of oceans and storms, strongly associated with water and weather, like we talked about. Um, they have that that yang, which is considered to be masculine mm-hmm. power, which also gets tied in again with being a ruler over water and weather. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing I found is that when dragons are depicted as controlling weather, it's often in an anthropomorphic form. It's often the dragon has shapeshifted into a person to control the weather. That's fascinating. Um, like they dress in a king's costume, uh, but they have a dragon head wearing a king's headdress. Hmm. And that's all, you'll see that uh, every now and then in, in artwork pieces. But this also ties in an interesting way because you know, we have the dragon kings right. and they're, they're thought to, you know, control drought and flooding and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the dragon king, there were the four major dragon kings were associated with the four seas, uh, the, the East Sea, the East China yeah. Sea, the South Sea, South China Sea, the... Um, West Sea, which was sometimes seen as Qinghai Lake, uh, and the North Sea, which was thought to be Lake Baikal, which is actually in Russia. Okay. And is Lake Baikal is interesting because that also has monster sightings associated does with it. Does it? It does, including some underwater alien sightings. What? Which which are somewhat recent. Okay. Uh, but we'll 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 talk about Lake Baikal perhaps on another episode because I'm also not certain that that's not just something made up on the internet and I need to do my research. But to to tie it all together, the the king of Wu Ye uh, in the five dynasties and ten kingdoms period was sometimes himself called the Dragon King or the Sea Dragon King oh. because a big thing that he worked on, a big focus of his was uh, a bunch of projects focused on hydro engineering. He was, he was really focused on hydropower huh. at the time. He was considered to have tamed the sea, huh. so he kind of got that title. So I wonder if artistic depictions tie into that as well. Dragons have friend, friends and enemies, just like just like anybody yeah. does. Uh, their, their biggest friend is the Feng Huang, which is sometimes called the Ho-Oh, which if oh. you're a Pokemon fan, you might recognize, yeah. sometimes called a phoenix, sometimes picked as a phoenix. Um, Love so they are phoenix and dragon depictions. I've seen quite a few art in with those sort of connected, so that makes sense, and I love that. Absolutely, yeah. They're they're the the biggest friends because the the Feng Huang is seen as the feminine energy, whereas the dragon is seen as the masculine oh. energy. And so, even to that point, whereas the emperor was depicted as a dragon, the empress of China was often depicted as a Feng Huang or a Chinese oh. phoenix. Yeah. Cool. So depicting the dragon and the, and the Feng Huang together was a symbol of balanced, blissful relationship and of a happy marriage. <laughs> and also of the, the region's long reign yeah. alongside his, his partner. Their enemy is the tiger. Well, yeah. Well, that checks out. 
So they are tigers are considered to be the eternal rival to the dragon. Uh, artwork often depicts them yeah. fighting. It's even become a thing in uh, like in martial arts nowadays, where in Chinese martial arts, the dragon style is used to describe a fighting style more on like understanding movement, mm-hmm. while the tiger style is like brute strength and memorization of technique. <sighs> yeah. So even the two the two fighting styles are yeah. opposed to one another. That's so right. it doesn't say why they are their enemies; they just are, they just I guess. Are. I don't know. Yeah, no, they just out. are. Yeah. And then yeah, even today, uh, the celebrations like Lunar New Year, there are holidays that honor the dragon mm-hmm. god. They're still widely practiced in many parts of the world. Uh, there are dragon boat festivals, yeah. uh, especially the Duan Wu festival, where dragon boats uh, are just boats that have you know a dragon head carved at the head and a tail carved at the the, mm-hmm. the aft. And uh, yeah, they they do these dragon boat races, which are celebrated uh, both in China but also in many parts of the world in Vietnam and Thailand. Um, and then there's also dragon dancing, Yay. which is probably the thing that most people think of when they think of Chinese For dragons, sure. which is that, yeah, multi, multi, many, many people all, you know, in this, uh, <laughs> I was going to say like a donkey costume, but it's, I think feel like that's disrespectful. It it's it's a lot of people in a life-size dragon puppet. It is a it dragon It is a puppet. dragon puppet, actually. And, yes. Yeah, yeah. I was, the, the it is was to the, it is disrespectful slightly, but it is essentially, it's yes. a puppet. It is. It is not a donkey costume. It takes a lot more coordination yeah, than that, does. and it is a lot of a lot of choreography mm. to make sure that everybody is working together on that. So they're often made from cloth and wood, and manipulated by a bunch of people. They got a bunch of poles holding it all together, and there's oh, drums and music, and everybody has to know their steps and work together. Or otherwise, that's all going to fall mm-hmm. apart. But yeah, even today, we still celebrate the dragon, and mm-hmm. that is what I have for the Chinese dragon. Wow! Congratulations. Oh, all right. We we. I sure did it. You sure of. did it. I mean, the last episode was my theater ghost was long too. There was a lot to cover there. But you know, we we also we learned. We a there lot. was a and that's I, the thing is a lot. There's a lot to share. Yes. There's a lot. To share. I mean, they're yeah. so cool. We had to talk about as much of it as possible. And like I said, there's so yeah. many. So I really wanted to give them their like I said, give the dragon their due, show them the respect they deserve because trying to squeeze them in alongside two other dragons and go, oh, here's all these dragons real quick. And like, there's just, there wasn't enough time. And I, I, I'd felt bad about that for a while. So from time to time, we will revisit mm-hmm. certain monsters that I don't think really got their, their due in previous Monster Crush episodes as we try to do more research and be more educational. We try. Um, well, I'll also still be in sexy. Mm-hmm. So LD, yes. when it comes to the Chinese uh-huh. dragon, uh, the many of them there are so many. discussed. So, so many. Uh, but I, I will ask, just in general, mm-hmm. is this uh, a monster that we can find sexy? Oh, absolutely. Is this monster that we can find love with? I, I Yes. I mean, you know, they're shapeshifters, which we do love. But also, like, I would just smooch a dragon. Um, they're wise, yeah. benevolent, with a, that hint of darkness, which is always appealing. Always very sexy, I find. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, who doesn't love a being that is a ruler and controls the, the weather and, like... I mean, huh. they're they're perfect beings. I yes, absolutely. Hard to say. Hard no. to say no. Yeah. I wouldn't. Hard to turn that down. <laughs> Look, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't blame I you. I love dragons. I have four of dragons tattooed on my body, like a dragons uh-huh. in any form. I'm always gonna say yes to. Was there a, a, a was there a particular type of dragon that really well, stuck out I to you? Well, I mean, you know, I do love, especially because it was the the dragon of the underworld, the sure. right, the yeah, one with the, the Fujian, yes, with who 
has the gems and things. I do love mm-hmm. a goth dragon. Underworld Guardian. Yeah, yeah that's I the, love, the Hades of Dragons, I love dragons, an Underworld right? Guardian. I love one who likes shiny things. Like, that's... I feel like we would be very compatible. I can't remember. That might have been the same one that Heavenly picked, <laughs> weirdly enough. Or, or she might have gone with the Earthworm one, because I think she thought that was well, funny. Yeah, I can't remember. Fair. But... But yeah, no, you love the one that goes for gyms. I think her also, her reasoning at the time was that we were all going to have to live underground before too long anyway because our economy was collapsing oh. and we were ruining the planet. And okay. uh, at least at that point, you get you get a bunch of shiny things and get a safe place beneath the earth. You get, a, you get your own dragon bunker. I'm just a gothy so, bitch who loves that shit. So. And I love you for that. <laughs> so... LD, I'm so glad that you you could find yes. love with, uh, especially the Fujianlong, but with all, all Chinese dragons. I'm glad that we could yes. give the dragons their their chance here at Monster Crush. The, an honest, you know, an honest good mm-hmm. episode to really try to explain them, really take that deep dive into them. Wonderful. I'm so done with talking. Oh sure. Thank. <laughs> so 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 thank you. Please. Oh take hey, it away. thank you, Derek. Uh, and while we're doing thank yous. Um, I, we first of all have to give a big shout out to, uh, Nick Lambert, our talented, amazing composer for our wonderful intro and outro music. Uh, you can find mm-hmm. Nick on Instagram at Lambertropolis, uh, fabulous musician, great theme song, big fans. Um, also a big thank you to the Sword and Key Network, of which we are a member. Uh, you can find all of the links uh, to Sword and Key at binkins.ai slash Sword and Key. Uh, Sword and Key produces podcasts and TTRPG content. You can look for Sword and Key with underscores between the words on their Twitch channel and various and sundry other things. Hey, and, uh, you know, thank you all listeners who are checking it out. If you really liked this episode or other episodes, please like, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, we'll read any reviews that you write, especially if they're funny and or sexy, I guess. You can find us specifically Monster Crush Pod on Instagram and Twitter and Blue Sky at Monster Crush Pod. Uh, and you can find all of our links on Linktree, which is linktree, linktree.e slash Monster Crush. Uh, and from there, you can tweet at us, send us an Instagram DM, join the Monster Crush chat over on the Sword and Key Discord, which is always a good time. We might have pictures uh, or even email us. So you can tell us your Monster Crush what monsters you'd like to hear about in future episodes and share your own spooky experiences with us. We might even share them on a future episode. Please, I would love that. Please. So, everybody, stay divine. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, get that long wang. Feels right. Plus it... Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, hey, because they're... We've got to the, go. The dra- that's the Dragon <laughs> King, right? I... I uh-huh. we got to was... go. <laughs> LD's mad at me. Bye, everybody. Good night, Derek. <laughs> Uh, the chichi, which have the shape of, which have the shape of, that's, oh, they're shaped like another, that's not helpful at all.